Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome in to the Otson Audible's podcast. Matt Graham, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Monday edition of the Otson Audible's podcast. Mondays typically me mailbags, and today we are doing a mailbag. Uh, podcast schedule will be a little bit different this week just because uh, of some football scheduling. They're moving into the morning, so there's going to be some adjusting there. And then Dan Lanning is going to be speaking on Thursday, and we anticipate that being a pretty big day of pod- of news. So we're going to probably podcast on Thursday, and then maybe we'll sneak one more, and maybe, maybe we'll go uh, super heavy next week with six podcasts because it's game week next week. Uh, I think that's a lot of what uh, these questions are going to be about in the mailbag is football is right around the corner. Hey, we passed, guys. We passed the uh, last weekend without college football. There, there will be college yep. football played this week. This is crazy. It's, it's really crazy, man. I can't I can't believe it. It feels like this month has gone by so much faster than I thought. And honestly, the fact that we're, as you said, close to game prep for Georgia kind of blows my mind. But here we are, and it's exciting, and there's a lot of questions that want our insight into some position battles, um, there's some recruiting stuff at the end. I think it's going to be a good show, but we're going to start where I think a lot of people have curiosity, which is at quarterback with a question from at Prince Puddles. With reports of up and down play at quarterback throughout camp, what percentage of confidence do you have each have in each of the quarterback's chances of starting? I really felt Bo had the starting gig all wrapped up this spring, but coming out of fall, I'm starting to wonder, hashtag odds and audibles. Uh, first, it's kind of interesting that the perception is that, like, the quarterbacks have struggled, considering, like, we haven't – I mean, the only people who talk about what's happened to the quarterback is landing, and I don't know if it's been that they've struggled, except for the fact that the last scrimmage there were a lot of interceptions, um, which you never like to hear. Um, I don't think the sense that I've gotten has been, like, the quarterback play has been terrible. Um like at all. I mean, landing, I mean, again, landing is controlling the narrative. We're not seeing, we're seeing very little. I haven't seen a quarterback throw a football to a receiver with anybody around him all fall. I haven't seen a receiver. I honestly haven't seen a quarterback really throw a ball to a receiver for the most part. It's basically been a couple of, a couple of like, they've had a couple of drills where they throw like short passes to running backs and then there's them warming up with each other. So, I mean, uh, the, the idea that they're struggling is not coming from us. I have, no. I've never, I mean, I've never said that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that Prince Puddles has, I'm just trying to get to the point of like, it's kind of interesting that that's the perception based on what landing is saying. And landing says very, very little about the quarterback competition, except for that it's ongoing and he has confidence in all his guys. Um, with that said, um, I think it's, I think we can try to break this down by who we think has the best chance of winning this job. I think, I think that's a fair next step. So um, I don't know if you guys agree. We disagree. We've all kind of heard from people behind the scenes on some of this stuff. So I think we can kind of address some of that. I, I still feel like Bo is going to be the starter. Um, I haven't heard much that leads me to believe that's not the case. 
I don't think Jay's really in the picture. Or if he is, it's it's pretty far out. I mean, I, and again, they shoot. They they may have kind of told everybody. Yeah. Whether, I'm not reporting it, but like they, they could. They, there could be pretty preliminary decisions on what the decisions have been made at quarterback. And I think it's Bo versus Ty, and I still think it's Bo probably 70-30 If I'm if I'm making a call on it, and the other thing I will say that the only the only thing we've seen from quarterbacks, and I know it's really small, um, is last week. I think it was Friday they ran through their option drills and Bo and Ty were the only ones to take reps. Jay did not take a rep. Doesn't mean the end of the world. I mean, James Kreppi from the Oregonian brought up a good point when we were, because we were kind of like, well, that felt significant, but it, most likely an offense at Oregon that Jay Butterfield is, is involved with doesn't include a whole lot of option running just because he's not a very good runner. I think he kind of knows he's not a very good runner. So maybe you wouldn't even have him taking practice in those situations, but the reality is they were spending time working on option runs. And if that's the case and Jay's not involved in that, that kind of tells you, to me at least, that they probably aren't taking a super serious look there, to me. So I think it's Bo tie, and I think Bo still has the best chance of winning the job. And I don't know if I my, – my opinion of Bo and Ty and Jay, none of it's gotten any worse all fall. I'll tell you that. I don't know if it's gotten much better. We haven't seen hardly anything. But what we've heard from – from, from camp scrimmages and stuff, to me, it's just it's hard to really take too much from it to have a real negative opinion one way or the other. I don't know if I could say any more uh, and provide more context than what Eric just went through, but because I agree, uh, everything that Eric said, um, I, I do want to say that when Lanning came off the field Saturday, I felt like there was this is me just speculating reading body language what have you but i felt like landing wasn't very happy like of course yeah that's i think that's putting it lightly um and one of the first things he talked about was the turnovers at quarterback uh the the, the turnovers the offense had and we don't know who it was for sure um we've certainly heard some things but Lanning didn't specifically say who threw how many interceptions and who did not throw interceptions, who didn't fumble, who didn't fumble. But um, it felt like there was some, like, hey, we got better. I know we got better, but we need to be better than what we showed on Saturday. That's kind of the vibe I got. That's why I asked him, like, did you feel like you got better today? He said yes. Um, I guess he maybe should have asked that the quarterback position. Um, and so I – I'm not down on the room, but I do wonder, like, has the growth not gone as fast as anticipated? That's just my one concern because it's been interceptions two two weeks in a row now. There's been turnovers, you know, two weeks in a row. I think there's a lot of things that go into this. I wouldn't say that the quarterback room is down by any means. Uh, we are getting later in the fall camp, which means Oregon's defense has seen Oregon's offense more and more and more and more. So at this point, they should have the upper hand compared to the offense having the upper hand at first. Um, I think a second point would be that Oregon's defense might actually be pretty good, and that might be uh, a reason yeah. as to why they are leading to these interceptions and these turnovers. Um, another point is that all three of these quarterbacks, maybe not Jay, but I know Ty and Knicks have been turnover prone in their career. And I think this is just going to be kind of like the growing pains. I think Oregon's offense is going to take shots down the field, unlike last season. So 
turnovers are going to happen. I think they're going to happen more often than people are anticipating because we've seen the last couple of years, offenses really not take any chances. Even with Justin Herbert, there weren't a lot of chances taken. And I think this season is going to get different. Um, but yeah, I mean, turnovers are a big issue. That's, that's giving the ball away. Um, that's, you know, uh, taking away points potentially from your side of the football. That's exactly what you don't want to do. And we heard, <clears throat> excuse me, we heard Kenny Dillingham talk about this the other day. If Oregon's quarterbacks can, if their mistakes cannot lead sports center, that's a good thing. If they do, you know, that's a bad thing. And that's leading, that's talking about costly turnovers, costly interceptions, you know, pick sixes, fumble recovery, a scoop and a score, something like that. Um, and it seems like these interceptions this time around and in, in, in this most recent scrimmage were the sports center leading type compared to maybe just a good defensive play. Um, I think this will ultimately come down to what quarterback makes the best decisions, um, who is not trying to go above and beyond and make a play that won't uh, actually lead to a, a gain in yards or anything. It's really just a jump ball, you know, that type of play. Um, and I think it's still just between Nix and Thompson. I don't, I think Jay is to go back to Eric's point about how they practice handoffs and do and dual options and Jay Butterfield didn't even participate in it. I know that maybe when Jay's on the field, they don't run options. Um, this seems like an option heavy offense. So if they're going to completely change their offense to when Jay Butterfield is in the game, I think that's a bad idea. I feel like they should stick with what they've been doing and with a quarterback that can control that offense, but that's just me. Um, so I feel like he's third on the totem pole, but this is a the situation where I think a quarterback who makes the least amount of mistakes is going to be the winner. The one that has the most amount of experience is also going to be the one that has the winner because usually those two things are correlation causation where experience equals limited turnovers compared to inexperience. Every once in a while you have the outliers, but um, so you can read between the lines on that one of what quarterback has more experience and probably isn't going to take as many shots down the field on a whim. So are we at this point all bow tie J as the order? Is that kind yeah. of what we all feel? Does anybody ob yeah. object to that? That's just always how I felt. I think that's... Yeah, I've never, I've never wavered off that. Okay. I, I feel the same way. I, and and I, I'd be very curious to see when we get an answer, by the way. And I we've been kind of messing behind the scenes. <laughs> never? <laughs> never. It's going to be the first snap of the Georgia game. We've kind of messed you behind the scenes. Could that happen Thursday? It's Lennox's first time before but before we get into game week. I think that's possible, but I, I think Matt kind of was the first to say it'll probably end up being like beginning of next week, and they might even kind of make an announcement. Lennox's going to speak Monday at some point, I think probably Monday morning, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a email, tweet announcing something Saturday, Sunday. That kind of makes some sense, and then we can ask follow-ups on Monday to landing about it. Um, but regardless... Um, keep your eyes out for it. It might break sooner than later. They've been really very careful with this whole thing, but um, there's a certain level of uncertainty just because of how they've handled it from from the jump. All right, let's move on to the running back position, which I think is also one of great intrigue. Um, a question from at Cusimano underscore Sal. Do you see Byron Cardwell leading the backfield, or will this be more of a bike committee? And then he asks, how much play do you see Jordan James getting this year? Um, I think first time question from Sal, so thanks for dropping by. Good stuff. Um, 
I don't think it's going to be. I think it will be. I think. I think. So the first question has two parts to it. I think. I think it will be by a committee, and I don't see Byron Cardwell leading the committee. Not to try to. I mean, I, I don't know. Again, we have limited information, but we've heard some stuff. We've kind of watching practice. I get the sense like, don't be surprised if one of the two transfers is the first guy we see on the field against Georgia, and that's no Whittington or Bucky Irving. Both those guys have had really impressive falls. Um, I, I, I heard independently that Whittington looked like the best back in the spring at times um, before fall started. So not that I don't think Byron's going to play a role, and he very well may end up – we might get to the Georgia game, and he might end up being the main guy or the guy who gets the most run. But I do think the – I posted this on the message board a couple times. I do think the notion that – it's Byron and then it's everybody else was really kind of overstated externally. Yeah. And internally, I don't think that was ever really how people felt um, from people I talked to. Doesn't mean they don't think Byron's a good back, but I think they you look at what's happened with Kenny at other schools. I posted this before. He's always run through three or four guys. And you see, you've seen what, even where Carlos Lachlan's been previously, there's always been a rotation of sorts. And I think they've brought, done a really good job this offseason of adding new players. And so I think it will be by committee. And I, I would expect maybe Whittington's the first guy you see out on the field against Georgia. But that's, again, me making a prediction that's not reporting. Um, and then to the other part, how much do you see Jordan James playing? Um, maybe a little bit more after what Lanning said on Saturday. That seemed yeah. pretty encouraging. Sounds like Jordan had a really strong scrimmage and ran really hard. And you like to hear that about a freshman. Um, I, I think it's probably going to be hard to feed the ball to five running backs so who's your odd man out if, if i mean i think four is doable and in fact if you look at dillingham's track record four is pretty pretty much in line he's a three to four running back kind of guy if you look at kind of how he's fed players both at florida state and auburn um, and even a little bit at memphis before that i think four is doable five feels like a, a person too many so five is a lot so I'm kind of wondering if, if, if Jordan James jumps in there, who gets left out of the equation? And I don't know if I have a clear answer. So, um, I, yeah, so I, I think the running back position is really interesting. It's one we haven't really talked a ton about because, again, we're not watching enough to really draw any conclusions. But I, I think this is going to be a pretty interesting group. And it's, I think the first month is going to be fascinating in terms of just, just how it's distributed because I, I, I get a sense that people are going to be kind of surprised. So – the last three years with Dillingham as the offensive coordinator, two at Florida State, one at Auburn, he didn't have a single running back go over 150 carries. Yep. So I, I'm i with you. I think I've been saying this on the site and on this podcast for maybe a couple months now that I think it, it's going to be a four-headed monster, and it's going to be a who who's running well this week who maybe has the better matchup, um, who's running well this game, who's performing well, let's ride the hot hand. And at the end of the year, we're going to see probably two guys go over 100 carries, a third be probably close, and then there's going to be a fourth guy that has around 50 or, or so carries and, and plays in every game. And who that is, I think Eric said it right. It, it's going to be a combination. I think we see Jordan James play as a true freshman. I think we see Byron Cardwell start games, but I wouldn't be surprised if Byron Cardwell isn't the week one starter. I, I it, There's a lot of buzz, like Eric said, about Whittington and Irving 
And I think if you go back and you watch um, Marquise Irving, or as he's next to be known as Bucky, go watch what he did at Minnesota as a true freshman last year. And he's really good. I think that, that addition is like super under the radar. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because of Cardwell's just assumed assumption of the starting role and what Oregon has with, with um, Whittington's addition. And you, you've got Jordan James, you've got Sean Dollars back. I, I don't know why Bucky Irving doesn't generate a lot of buzz because it's really good tape and in a really good conference. Uh, I mean, to answer that question, I think it's just because he was like the fourth or the fifth running back coming in. There's already like a bunch of new names to learn. You already have Sean Dollars coming back. Um, he was the he was I mean, the most recent addition too. Like yeah. he was a late addition. So I get yeah. that part. I, I, I mean, that's I, I think that's just it. I think people were maybe not in football mode when it happened, but um, they're going to see that he's probably the best running back in Oregon's room. Um, I I think after watching something happened during fall camp so far um i think he's probably the number one guy maybe whittington two and cardwell three um it's from what we've all heard it seems that cardwell's the idea that he the notion that he was going to be the the eventual starter might have been overplayed i know i bought into it a lot i really liked cardwell last season and i thought that he would be basically a shoe-in um depending on whether or not Travis Dye and, and CJ Burdell came back. But since they left, I thought that it was clearly going to be um, Byron Cardwell as the guy, him and dollars, but a credit to Oregon staff, their offensive staff, coach Carlos Lachlan of, you know, landing three guys who are all pretty damn good. Um, Whittington is impressed so far. Um, we, again, we haven't really watched these guys actually take part in, running the football or really just other anything other than catching like um, a screen pass or a slip pass out wide. And, you know, that it, it, it is what it is, but you know, you can tell the, the talent in some of these guys already, um, but it'll definitely be running back by committee a hundred percent. I don't, I don't know how many carries every, every guy is going to get um, because I don't know how much of a run heavy offense is going to be. I'd be surprised if somebody eclipsed like 110, 120 carries. Um, that's just seeming how there's four guys who are going to be in a room all together. Um, I, I just, I don't, I don't know how they're going to divvy that up, but I don't know if there's that big of a separation between somebody and the rest of the group that, that's going to make them the every guy back, mostly because none of these guys can catch the ball to the backfield historically, except for Bucky Irving. He's the only guy in the scene who's like a legitimate three down back. And I only say that because he had eight receptions for 73 yards compared to, I think it was 12 for 52 by Whittington and then four receptions for three yards by Cardwell. So, and Sean Dollars hasn't played in a year and a half or almost two years at this point, except for the Pac-12 title game in 2020. So I look at this as a, who's got the best skill set that'll go every down and I think Irving is probably that guy. And I thought, I, and I, I'm just not sure who's going to be the next guy, but I know it's going to be by committee. I just look at, you know, who can actually feel the, or catch the ball out of the backfield because that seems to be a huge point of emphasis on Dillingham's offense too. And Irving seems to be that guy. 
I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. I think part of it, it's hard to go by stats and try to draw many conclusions. I mean, when Sean Dollar's coming to high school, his he was considered – He was like, an all-purpose back. He was, and, and, the, and the sense was when he came in was he might play some receiver right away. So I think there is that skill set. It's just it's kind of hard to know because we haven't seen him very much. And I think right. Whitting, Whitting, Whittington came in an offense in Western Kentucky that threw the ball a lot. His lack of production there was kind of interesting. But the thing that was talked about with him coming in was he's a really, really good pass blocker. Yeah, um, and so yeah, yeah, of course. So, 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 so you talk about three down backs. I think there is probably more versatility among this group um, than just Irving. But I, 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 I'm really excited to see him play, and I'm really excited to see Gardwell play. I'm really excited to see what I'm, I'm excited to see all these guys. I think that's the thing that's kind of interesting. I, I had lunch with a buddy of mine who's a big Oregon fan, and we we're kind of talking about it and just kind of the uncertainty at running back. But knowing, I think the the, the sense is different at quarterback than running back for whatever reason. I think quarterback, you know, we, neither position we really know how it's going to go. I think we all have kind of hunches. But I think at running back, there's just a sense that there's a lot of guys that are really talented. And I yeah. think that gets people pretty enthused. And I do want to say, like, I know we've kind of been – I don't know if we've been hard on Cardwell, but we've kind of been dismissive a little bit. I still think he was awesome last year. I love the oh, way 100%. he ran. I love the way he ran. I just think that there's more – it seems like for whatever reason, um, there seems like there's a little bit more enthusiasm behind the scenes – and people would talk to for the other guys. So, and that could all be, that could all be inaccurate. And we might get to the games, like I said, and it's, and it is actually Cardwell. And he, and he does yeah. carry 160 times. Um, but uh, I think, I think it's hard to, it's, it's hard to not be excited by the, by idea. People like Cardwell so much. It's not, it's hard not to be excited by the idea that one of these new guys is outpacing him or a couple of them are outpacing him. And that should tell you how, how kind of healthy this room is if that ends up being the case. I, I really want to point out real quick before we move to the next question, but there's a, a cause and effect with everything. And the fans have been talking about, oh, we want airing it out more. We want we want more deep shots. We want to throw the ball and sling it around a lot more. This, this, this with the pass game. But when you do that, it also eliminates opportunities for the running backs. And so that could factor in here too. When, you know, we were used to Mario's teams being very run Everything started with the run. Everything ended with the run. And that's how a lot of, you know, that's how they were able to get Cardwell, or not Cardwell, but Travis Dye and CJ Verdell each like 19 carries a game sometimes, you know, 15 to 20 carries a game. And if you throw the ball more, that's just not going to, those opportunities to run the ball and have three or four guys end the year with 80, you know, attempts each, it's just not going to be possible. I do think my guess is that there is – Jared said I, – I, I think someone's going to have more than 110 carries this year. I agree. I just, looked at, I just looked at what like Travis Dye was doing during his tenure here mm-hmm. and because he, was, he stayed healthy longer than Verdell, so I thought that was a better sample. I mean, he had 211 carries last season, which is absolutely absurd. Yeah. But he was really in between like the 130 to 150 range, and that's a lot of carries – regardless and that was him in a very run heavy offense and to matt's point like i was saying earlier i think this this type of offense necessitates somebody who can catch the ball out of the backfield because that's going to be the most valuable thing for running back to have if they're going to throw this often and i know ryan walk would would come over here and slap my face if i told them that they're going to pass the ball too much but i i mean i think that they're going to pass more than they are going to run um i don't think it'll be like Western Kentucky and where Noah Whittington came from, where it was like 90% pass, 10% run. But I think it's going to be more pass heavy. Um, 
Forgot to touch on Jordan James. Apologies, Sal Cusumano. Um, I think he's good. I think he'll play. I think if Oregon can, they'll redshirt him. That's all I got. Cool. Uh, I just would say on the 110 thing, the only reason I push back is I think Oregon's going to play like 14 games, and that means that nobody has more than eight eight carries per game, which feels low. But I, I, if it ends up being a true committee, you know, it you might be it totally might, I don't know. There's right. four guys who deserve playing time. That's a lot All of right. people. All right. We'll see. I think this is one we're going to be tracking. I'm, we're going to be get like game three. I'm going to be like, somebody has already has 37 carries, so you're going to be <laughs> way off because they're averaging 12 Deal. per game. All right. I'll take it. So, Third one from at Jake Derman. Other than Braden Swinson, do we have a pass rusher, pass rush option coming off the edge? Maybe DJ Johnson, a skinny Mason Kuna, or a versatile Brandon Doralis. This is a need for our team. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. I do agree with the last point that like finding solutions in the pass rush is, is something you want to you need to figure out. Like frankly, it's kind of funny because Kayvon Thibodeau's in the NFL right now and undoubtedly is a more talented pass rusher than anyone on Oregon's roster right now. And yet last year. Oregon was like eighth in the conference in sacks. Like they didn't produce that well even a year ago with arguably at least one better player. Everybody else is back basically. That factors into it. Um, I think it's interesting that we're singling Swinson out. I mean, he has three career sacks. I think he's really good and I think he can have an awesome season. I think he's an interesting one where it's a little bit like, I'm not trying to say it's going to be like a Cardwell thing, but there seems to be certain players people just really gravitate towards as being like awesome already without a whole lot of proof. I mean, Swinson, Swinson's career stats are basically identical to, like, Trevor Mai. You know what I mean? I think that kind of surprises people. I'm not, I'm not even saying Mai is going to be more valuable because I don't think – I would probably put Mai, like, sixth or seventh on the team in terms of pass rush capability. But, like, Swinson hasn't done a ton. DJ Johnson hasn't done a ton. Mace Funa hasn't done a ton, which is why I get this question. Um, but it's just interesting that Swinson is kind of singled out as being separate from that group. I, I think DJ Johnson is a name to really be – aware of um i also think not having watched enough practice and seeing where guys are lining up i mean jared we were just talking about this the other day about like mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to do a defensive starting 11 without seeing that well, much yeah. of them actually doing stuff and also kind of still trying to understand where players fit in this defense and and being totally honest of like okay, somebody's a nine technique or a five technique, or is he standing? Is he not? Like, we don't have a ton of information on this, so it kind of is difficult um, to even be like, are Swinson and Johnson on the field a lot together? Are they almost only on the field, like, independent of each other? Like, is Funa the same thing? Uh, Doralis will play with a hand down. He differentiates from this group. And I think the answer is I think he's going to be really valuable in the pass rush. That was one of the things he talked about was – his work there and what he's trying to improve upon there. So like, I, I think there's enough guys to answer the general question. Um, and I think the names listed are probably the primary ones to know um, in terms of guys that, that will be impactful. But I think it's hard for me to be able to really answer the question with what we've seen at practice, other than to say um, Dan Lanning's defense at Georgia. And I know I hate people hear, hate hearing about um, simulated pressures, but like, that's going to also allow Justin Flo and Noah Sewell at times and a Jeffrey Bossa or a Jackson LaDuke or whoever's playing one of those, you know, inside linebacker positions to also be involved in this pass rushing thing. I mean, I know the question is about off the edge, but I think the answer is going to be it can be off the edge, but it can also be from a variety of other places, which is going to give you an advantage. But I think from a skill set perspective, I don't really doubt Swinson, Johnson, Funa as being, I think those are your standing edge guys, as being pretty impactful. In fact, 
um, Maliki Madavao, and I know players always like their own teammates a lot, but Maliki said that he thinks they have the two best edge guys in the conference. He was talking about Swinson and DJ Johnson, and of course, he's probably a smidge biased, but <laughs> at the same point, like I don't think the team at least feels like they share these concerns. I think the names brought up here for most likely names to be off the edge and to have success for Oregon. Um, a couple other names I would throw out there as players who could make some noise in limited spurts, Brandon Buckner, um, Jabril McNeil. Uh, and then, like you pointed out, Eric, I think the simulated pressures could allow Justin Flo, Noah Sewell, Jeffrey Bossa opportunities to maybe shoot the gaps and create some havoc in the backfield, whether that's against the run or getting some sacks. I think I think the question answers itself. I mean, the the four players listed of uh, DJ Johnson, a, a slim down base Funa, and a doorless uh, to go along with Swinson. That that's your top four. Those are the those guys need to elevate their play. If they do that, Oregon should be in a position of strength. And you've got four guys that you feel confident throwing out there and being able to produce. Um, yeah, I mean. To answer Jake's question, it's really just three guys. Dor- Dorless, I don't think, is really going to ever play like as a hand up or a hand not in the dirt out on the edge. It just I know he's lost weight and has tried to have that positional versatility, which, again, is another hot word um, for this coaching staff along with simulated pressures. But um, I think his he's just better served on the interior. I think he as a defensive end or um, just – going right at right over the center sometimes. I think that's where he thrived last year. But this year is a little different. They'll have Jordan Riley and Taimani and maybe Popo and people like that, Keon Ware Hudson, um, to simulate that nose tackle or defensive tackle. But you know, I'm I'm on Eric's side here where when you when we've gone through fall practice and haven't really seen anything in terms of how they line up or what the defensive line looks like, it's kind of hard to 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 I don't know, kind of assume what's going to happen. Um, DJ Johnson is absolutely a name to know. Um, but like Eric mentioned, he hasn't done a whole lot with his defensive line career. Granted, he's been playing tight end for some reason the last two seasons. Um, that was an attempt to get him on the field, but they should have just got him on the field on defense. Um, he's, he's slimmed down. He looks in much better shape this season. Uh, I think he'll have some type of chip on his shoulder for sure. Um, as we saw in the spring game, he was an animal that was against Oregon's second offense, second team offensive line. So, you know, give and take with that one. But um, I think physically and athletically, he lines up as well as almost anybody in the conference. Um, Swinson and, and Mace. Um, Mace, I always have felt like he's a better, um, like a, a rush edge. I feel like he's set to corner well. I don't feel like he's necessarily always involved in the pass game unless it's a blitz of some sort. Um Swinson, I think this is this is the season for him to do something because he had a lot of opportunities last season with Kayvon Thibodeau going down for the first few games of the season. And then he, he was also hurt. hurt during that. Time. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got hurt at a game or two afterwards. So he didn't have the opportunities. But this is it. There is no Thibodeau ahead of him. So when when Thibodeau came back, Swinson was then, you know, jumped back to the sideline. This is it for him. This is his opportunity to make a name. Um and he's he's slimmed down again. He, you know he's lost. I think it's like thirty, almost forty pounds since he's come to Oregon as an edge rusher. 
Um, I think he'll have to use his athleticism and versatility. Um, but this all comes back to simulated pressures. This is Dan Lanning's specialty. This is they don't need an elite, elite pass rusher to go get pressure on the quarterback during passing downs. And, you know, whoever it is, if it's Flo, if it's Noah Sewell, if it's Bennett Williams from the star position, if it's a corner blitz with Christian Gonzalez, doesn't matter. I think they're going to get pressure on people. I just don't, you know, I don't, there's not a lot of other names. I know Matt mentioned Brandon Buckner just in like passing downs. Um, there aren't a whole lot of other names, but this is what Dan Lanning does best is, you know, get pressure on the quarterback without having an elite guy on the edge. Yeah. And the concept isn't, isn't, it isn't necessarily devoid of individual talent. It's just a, you're going to send people from a lot of different spots basically, which is going to be unpredictable and hard to, you know, pass protect from. So I, I, I'm not, I'm really curious to see what it looks like. And from a personnel perspective, like we've talked about a lot, like I'm just, I, there's a lot of, I have a lot of intrigue about how this all mm -hmm. works and how it all comes together. I mean, it was fun. I was talking, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine this weekend as a diehard fan and, and he was asking kind of where my excitement level was. And I was like, it's really the weirdest season I've come into in terms of usually I could rattle off a two deep on both sides of the football with like, just like that, like without really having any issue. Cause we've watched fall and they've gone through a bunch of stuff and we've seen competition periods and we know where guys are working and, and whatnot. I don't really have a clear idea on a lot of this stuff. I mean, we hear stuff from other people, but from what we've watched, like I, I haven't seen enough to really draw any conclusions. It's hard to predict. I mean, I think all three of us here, if we were to predict starting offensive 11 and defense 11, we'd probably have different answers at numerous spots. And that's not because um, we're ill-informed. It's just because we haven't seen enough at practice to really draw conclusions. So, you know, I, just to conclude this kind of first part, where we're talking about position battles. Like, I think the fun thing for this season and where it kind of landed when my buddy asked about it, my excitement level was I'm, re I'm really excited to learn the things we usually learn in August and September. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of where it's at, where um, I think the team's going to be pretty good. But mm -hmm. most of my opinion on the team being pretty good is just coming from what players are saying and what coaches are saying. Whereas in the past, I think we could draw at least some conclusions from watching practice. But times are different. And I understand why that's been limited. But um, no, I, I, I think it's I think it's really going to be fascinating to see how Oregon attacks teams in a lot of different ways both sides of the football but especially defense with the pass rush and I get that concern because it wasn't great last year and you did lose your top guy all right we're gonna take a quick break we come back we'll uh, hit the second half of this mailbag introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Uh, three questions in, three more to go here, and uh, still more football talk. Well, it's going to be all football talk, Matt. I'm, I hate yeah. to say it. No, no, no basketball talk for either men's or women's teams for this time of year. It's not going to be too. Well, that's how it should be. Right. Of course. I'm just saying. Just, just for those listening, that may be thinking we might have like a random uh, baseball question at the end here. Sorry, uh, we'll have to follow up on that in the spring, Jared. Um, mm-hmm. Fourth question from at Duck Cruise. Do you think we'll know what this 2022 team is made of after the Georgia game? And he puts in parentheses, win or lose. And if not, at what point in the season? Hashtag Ots and um, I don't think you ever learn exactly what a team is made of in the first week. I think that's kind of silly. I mean, not to not to belittle the question, um, but that's such a small sample size. In fact, like people trying to draw, like I, I just this is a thing I've seen recently. People trying to draw any conclusions about rookie players in the NFL in preseason is so asinine and annoying. Like I'm just I'm seeing people like already writing off certain people based upon preseason games. That's to me is the equivalent of making a determination on a football team week one just like last year making a determination that oregon was going to like win you know play in a college football playoff based upon a win against ohio state in september there's a whole season to be played so Mm -hmm. um i i will say i'll be concerned if they get thumped really good like if it's really really ugly i don't and i think you know we haven't made our official site predictions we'll make those next week i don't think any of us are picking oregon over georgia nor, nor should i i think that would be just a pretty outrageous pick at this point um but if it's really ugly and i'm talking like four five six score difference in in in, you know in margin if that's something that happens i'll be really concerned i won't know what this team is made of yet but i will say that's not encouraging um at what point in the season i i think you got to get at least to your bye week i think that's an i think that's an, an effective time to draw some conclusions you then have about a half a season of sample size you can try to draw conclusions earlier than that, but let me tell you this. Think about last year. Everybody thought Oregon was really, really good after they beat Ohio State, and then they went and lost to Stanford, and then everybody thought they sucked. And it ended up being somewhere in the middle where, depending upon the weekend, they might be able to contend with just about anybody, but they were also going to be challenged by just about anybody. So I think it's, I think it's premature to make really too many you know, determinations on a team until you get through a little bit of conference play. Um, and, and frankly, the way the schedule is set up, you might not have a really clear idea until you get into November, just because that's when you play the, I think the toughest games in your conference schedule, when you start playing Washington and Utah and even Oregon state at the end, I know that sounds like ridiculous to be, uh, we'll know what this team is made of when the season's over, but I, 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 I just think I mean, you wouldn't be wrong. Well, we will have. A, well, I think we'll have a better idea when the season's yeah. over how good this team is than at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. How's that sound for just really making a, a really salient point? No, but like my it. point is, I, I just think 
like sure, I think you'll be able to draw some conclusions after Georgia, and you'll be able to draw some conclusions after BYU. But ultimately, what those conclusions are probably aren't going to be totally fair until we get into conference play and you get six, maybe seven games in, and you look, can look up and say, okay, they're this or they're that. They're undefeated, or they have two losses, or they have three losses, or they, things have gone really poorly and it's worse. But I, I just think uh, definitely not after the first game. Um, I think that's too early regard even if they win even if they win that game just because last year i felt like oh my gosh i've really underestimated this oregon team after they beat ohio state and then by the end of the year i, I kind of felt like maybe i had been sort of right all along to a certain degree with who they were so um long-winded way of saying let's wait a little bit i i picked before you dropped the, the number six games um there's going to be games where Oregon should have some blowout victories, and there's going to be some road games, I think, early on outside of Georgia that could be a little hairy for Oregon. Um, and if you emerge out of the first six weeks and you go into your bye week in the middle of October and you're 5-1, and one, I think you can look at this team and say, hey, like this is one that should be competing for the Pac-12 championship, and, and maybe if they can get lucky – Maybe at the end of the year, they're in that discussion for the fi- the final spot for the college football playoff. Maybe. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but, you know, that, that that would be the discussion point. But if they're struggling to get blowout wins against teams like Stanford, Washington State, Arizona, or if they've even dropped one of those games or the BYU game, they've dropped one of them, and they're four and two, and maybe, you know, one of the games that's, supposed to be viewed as a, a convincing win isn't and they had to you know pull a rabbit out to, to get the win maybe it's time to reset your expectations coming out of that bye week where it's hey let's you know if they get to the pac-12 championship game this is a really good year for this team based off of what we've seen the first half of of this year i i think we'll have uh, expectations properly allocated after the bye week of just who this team is, kind of what their potential is and where they could be going. I didn't have a specific number. Um, I just kind of, I'm more or less kind of winging it in terms of when I think this deal, you'll, you'll be able to see something from this team. Um, I don't, again, I don't think you're going to see what is this team made of? I think you're only going to be able to tell that like when it's too late for everybody, um, you're going to finally come to that conclusion and be like, Oh, all those warning signs or all those positive developments that were coming weeks ago, they've all added up for this ginormous win or this ginormous loss. Um, I think the first moment where this is going to be a realization is going to be after BYU and before Washington State. Um, I think there's there, that's going to be, I think, one of the bigger games of the year because BYU is maybe a top 25 team. They're around that area. Um, depending on what what polls you're looking at or who who you who you believe in, who you trust, whatever the case, it's an at home game for Oregon, and then they travel to Washington State, who have always given Oregon troubles on the road. Who bring in Cameron Ward, a, 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 an elite elite, yeah, I'd say elite transfer quarterback, someone who I'm personally very excited to go watch. Um, that's going to be a, a big moment. And you will be able to draw some conclusions after the Georgia game. I don't know how many, probably like three. But I think after that Washington, <laughs> Eric, three such an arbitrary it. number. It's just such yeah. an arbitrary number. I got. No, three I'll have I'll have my three conclusions after the Georgia game. That'll be that'll be an article. You can write it down in stone. Oh, 
I'll look for some stone. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and I think after that Washington State game, I think that's a huge one. I think that's going to be the moment where either this team steps up and is a team that most of us expect them to be, like a nine-win nine team, uh, an eight, or I'll say an eight-to-ten-win team is what I think the consensus pretty much believes. Um, I think that game, if it's a win, that path obviously becomes a lot easier. You have a win on the schedule, but I think that builds a lot of confidence and momentum into the team. Um, but a loss can certainly take it the other way because that'll be, I'm predicting a loss against Georgia, surprise. Um, I think that'll be two losses in the first four games of the season. And that's a big, that's a, I don't know, that's, that's a big thing for a young team. And if they want to meet, because I'm sure they understand that, that people consider them to be a nine and three, a 10 and two football team. If they're, uh, you know, two and two after the first four games of the season. It, you know, if my math is correct here, they got to go eight and one the rest of the way or 10 and 0 to get to those magical numbers that people seem to be predicting them for. And that's going to weigh a lot. And I think that's going to be just this huge outcome. And I'm not saying that's exactly what Oregon is going to be made of, but I think that's going to be the first moment in the season where you're really going to see um, potentially with their back against the wall, if they do have a loss already and they're down in that game, what that, what that team really is made of. I don't know about your math there. Eight and one and ten and zero; oh, those are two different number of games played. So I don't know exactly how that works, but um, that's why my sure. math is really good. All right, I'm sure it works. Um, no, I I, 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 do think there are some earlier games that will give you better ideas. I just, try, I'm trying, I'm trying to be a little bit more slow to kind of come to conclusions this year because last year I think, uh, I think I jumped the gun. I do, I do. I think I got really excited in September and then kind of let down and then kind of kept telling myself this team was a certain thing. And then, uh, and then I know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, but I'm, and things didn't play. The, the end was just so disappointing. And I do think there were warning signs and I think maybe I was ignoring them. So I'm, tr I'm trying to wait. I'm trying to be a little more patient this year. Oregon fans, do whatever you want. And if you want to make a determination after the first quarter of the first game, you do it. That's you. But, uh, no issue. All right. I'm going to go on to the fifth question as Jared leaves uh, to do something. This one's from at Doug for quacks of the five and high four star big fish. The ducks are still hunting for on the recruiting trail. Could you rank them from best chance to lowest chance of committing to the university of Oregon football program? Hashtag odds and audibles. Jared will be back. I think soon. I, I think he had like a phone call or something to quickly take, but Matt, let's, Let's dive into this one. Oregon is stealing on some big fish. Yeah, I know. You know, and I, I. By the way, I would say those listening probably have already listened. But if you didn't, go listen to the question or the uh, podcast with Brandon Huffman that Matt and Jared did on Friday. I did not get Wally pipped, Brandon. I'm back. <laughs> but uh, there's a, there's a lot of really good information on that show about some of these names. But Matt, I don't know. I don't know how many guys you want to say are still in the hunt for that are these big fish, but do you have kind of a hierarchy of guys you think Oregon can land that qualify as, I don't know, top 100, top 150 guys? Um, I mean, you look at the five stars that are here. David Hicks is the highest rated guy Oregon's got a good chance at getting right now. And saying a good chance seems kind of op optimistic. Um, he's the eighth best player in the country, five-star defensive lineman. They'll probably get him out here for a visit, but I just – I'm not there yet. Um, we know Samson Okanola is high on Oregon, but 
he's trending towards Miami. So I wouldn't really focus too much there. And so where where is someone that can show up that's like a five-star that Oregon's got a, a decent chance of getting? I think you have to go down to the bottom of the list of five-stars, which sounds terrible, but it's really good. Um, Deuce Robinson tied in. Samson and Samuel Mpemba, a defensive edge guy, and Mateo Ungalele. I, I think if Oregon's going to fi- find another five star in this class, it's going to be one of those three guys. And I think, I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, it's probably it's probably Ungalele. If 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 you pick out of those three, who's the most likely of, of the bunch? There, it's probably Mateo, and he's from the West Coast. He plays a position that Dan Lanning coaches. He's got a good relationship with him. So among the five stars, that's probably the guy that Oregon's got the best chance of, of, of getting still. And I don't do I like I don't like doing percentages, but that feels like a one in three chance you get him. And so it's 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 more than out of it's it's not a long shot but you're not going to sit here and say that Oregon's a favorite to land him there. I I, I do wonder I think Oregon's in a good spot for for Spencer Fano. I know they continue to recruit Roderick Pleasant. Um those are two four-star players in the top 100. Um I I kind of wonder what happens This is just me speculating here but Riley Williams. Hmm. He went to IMG Academy for his senior year. He's committed to Miami. W- let's just see what life is like in six months being so far away from home. Is, is that – I mean, it, it very well could be perfect for him and be all good, but we often see this, whether it's players going to Oregon or and then leaving or vice versa. Um, you know, Going across the country is hard. And I'll just be curious to see what happens in six months with Riley Williams. Just total speculation there. That's an interesting idea. Um, by the way, it seems like you don't want to do percentages, but you're cool doing fractions, which yeah, is, I was gonna which, say. is which is which I love. Which uh, is, I don't. I don't like. I mean, I, I, okay, thirty-three percent chance of that happening. <laughs> but like, I, 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 I just thought it was funny. I just thought it was funny that you're like, I don't do percentages, but let me give you a fraction, which you can then percentage <laughs> if you want. <laughs> no, I think you nailed the names, and I probably am with you that Mateo feels like the one, and I'm not the biggest. I'm not like the most dialed in with recruiting. Full disclosure, but like it feels like based upon what Brandon said and what other people have said that I've talked to, it feels like that's kind of the one to keep an eye on if Oregon's going to get a five star. It's currently ranked a five star because you know there could be some jockeying. I mean, Jordan Dickey wasn't a five star up until about a month ago and now he's a consensus five star. So that something mm-hmm. could happen. I think the Riley thing is worth monitoring, you know, I mean, I, I think Jaden Wayne would be another player to at least kind yeah. of monitor just for the same exact reason. I'm not, we're not reporting it, but just if you want to speculate a guy who is going across the country to basically very close to where he's, they're both committed to Miami. They're both committed to Mario Cristobal, both are Northwest kids, Riley from Portland, uh, Wayne from Seattle. Both went to are, are now at, I think both are now at, probably in Florida for IMG, which I, I'm assuming they're probably already playing games or close to by now. Um, who knows? Maybe they get out there and it's, it's not a fit. They have never lived there, and you know maybe this ends up being an audition phase and it doesn't work out. Maybe as I mean, there's also the possibility that they they either don't 
hate it or they absolutely love it. Love and it. it. It doesn't matter. And they end up sticking. And mm -hmm. that would be what I would expect and anticipate to happen. But that's right. It, you know, it's a teenage kid living away from home from the first time. And he's living, they're living really far from home. I mean, they're living literally almost as far away as possible in this country from home. Maybe it doesn't go great. Maybe they reconsider some things. I don't. I probably don't anticipate that, but it's certainly something to monitor in terms of big time guys, and both at positions, by the way, of a pretty big need. Like if you, if you uh, are able to get Riley, that sets up your tight end position for a while, and if you're able to get Wayne, that makes your edge position a lot healthier, and, and probably makes up for the fact that maybe, as Matt said, there's a 33% chance of Mateo ending up at Oregon, uh, or sorry, one third percent. One third chance. Two sixths. Of, uh, Let's go wild. Yeah, a, two, a three and nine. Uh, yeah, a thir yeah. <laughs> three and nine chance. Of <laughs> it happening. Uh, so yeah, but that would that would certainly help. I don't know, Jared. Do you have any other names that I know you missed our first part of the segment? But do you have any other names that you think are notable here? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I was just going to love on Samson Okamola as a Massachusetts man, um, but I think the uh, the only real the the biggest contention is either a recruit that Oregon has already have committed where they somehow miraculously get bumped up to a five-star or Mateo Uyunglele. I think those are like the, 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 the most realistic opportunities. I think Spencer Fanow is a high four-star. I don't think he'll approach that five-star level unless he's um, just so much better than, than the last time the evaluators saw him. Um, but he's still a really, really good prospect. I think that's, um, you know, that'll eventually segue us into the last question in this mailbag, but um, Mateo is, is uber good. Um, Brand Huffman, who we had on the Autonomous podcast, I'm sure you guys talked about, was very high on the young guy and, you know, an elite athlete could play both ways. Um, we are all collectively still waiting for the uh, inaugural Tosh Lupoy big fish yeah. to hang up and, you know, pose for the camera. I think this this is an option for that. Um, this is why you bring a defensive-minded head coach to your school to recruit those defensive prospects and those recruits. Um, the, big, the biggest fish have been offensive players so far for Oregon's class of 2023, which I think is interesting. But this is an opportunity to land a really big fish. Um, Huffman mentioned that it's really a three-team race, and I think Oregon's going to stick until, until the end. But, um, yeah, that's all I got. If it's a three-horse race, the uh, one-third thing makes even more sense, Matt. So good math there in terms of there's three schools. Oregon's one of them, one and three. Um, <laughs> I just keep giving you a hard time. No, I, I, I totally agree, though, Jared. I've had that same thought. Just to finish this, and then we'll get to our final question, which is also recruiting. But um, obviously, Tosh wasn't hired specifically to land Mateo, right? That is not what happened. But he, the kind of the concept here, or like the – the idea was he's a really good recruiter and his position group are these edge guys. Like that's who he's coaching on a day-to-day -day basis. That's who he's going to be the primary recruiter for. So a guy like a Mateo would be the type of recruit you kind of envisioned right. landing when he landing, I should say, when he got here. Um, and with Wayne off the board, I really like Jaden more. We talked, I, I was really intrigued by what Brand had to say and kind of further solidified what I think of him. I think Tatum Tuioti, who's a local kid, um, defensive line coach tony's kid i think there's upside there but a guy like mateo is just a little bit of a different animal in terms of already he kind plays of, right away i was gonna say the floor is way higher and the ceiling's higher so yeah we just I talked think, about how oregon and their edge rushers going into this season were 
don't know, kind of a question mark. This this kid puts it to where you have potentially one of the better Pac-12 pass rushers for the next couple of years if you land them. And the thing is, if you want to be real, just to kind of carry that thought over, Oregon really could use somebody in 23 like mm-hmm. this. I mean, let's, let's be realistic about it. DJ's got, has to be gone. That would be his, like, ninth year if he came back. I think it literally would be a seventh, which is ridiculous um, if you include Miami. And then you've got Braden Swinson and Mace Funa. Funa, this would be – next year would be Funa's fifth year. Yeah, that'd be I, I, I don't know what his pro prospectus is, but you get guys who have already gone through their four. Sometimes they just want to move on and see if they can make a move. And he's trimmed down, changed his body. Maybe he's ready. Swinson, I think, will probably be back. But And Dorless will, I think, almost on, I know he's not playing edge, but that's a pass rusher. Like, we talked about the guys who we think are going to be impactful getting to the quarterback. Like, the majority of them are gone after this year. So a guy like Mateo feels really important. All right. Last one from at Desert Quack. Number 14 ranked class in 2023, 16 commits, and not a single offensive lineman. Should Duck fans be worried? A strong offensive line has been a staple at Oregon under Mario Cristobal, and I'm sure many fans would like to see that continue. Hashtag Um, I picked this question because this was like brought up on our message board quite a bit this weekend, was concerned about this. In fact, if you're uh, on the website, you'll know that like there's been probably a thread two to three times a week, it feels like recently, when Oregon doesn't land an offensive line recruit um, because Oregon has gone 0 for so far this cycle under Clem, which is disappointing, I think, uh, without question. I think what Huffman outlined, though, on the podcast, and again, go listen to that if you've missed it, it should put a little bit at ease. Like if, if like a best-case scenario – takes place and you get Fano, who's like the 53rd best off or 53rd best player, sorry, in the country. You get Caleb Lamo, who's an offensive tackle out of out of Arizona, who's I think in the like 190 to 200 range, depending on the composite versus the 247 ranking. And then you get some sort of an interior guy. Maybe it's Feope's younger brother um, out of Hawaii or it's a Bryce bullpen. If you land like those three guys or some combination of that, two big time tackles and, and maybe a couple, maybe not as highly regarded guards, I think you feel really good. There's still enough. There are still dudes on the on the up that are available, but like let's say they don't get Fano and they don't get Lamu and they get maybe just a couple of these guards and they end up reaching on a tackle or they don't even sign a tackle. I would be a little bit concerned because I just kind of outlined all the guys you lose on your defensive line or edge guys for next year. Offensive line's also in a big transition period from 22 to 23. I mean, you know, four, what what was it? Five, all five, all five could go, right? Yeah. All five could go. I was just going to say like four are definitely gone. Um, And Steven Jones would, he's in the same class, I think as Mace. So he would be looking at, no, he's a year older. He came in the same year as, as Penn A. Uh, Sewell, mm-hmm. they were the same age. So, I mean, he's been here. He and Dawson, by the way, it's also the same class. They've been here a long time. And so you just, I, I, I know sometimes people go, well, they've got you know eligibility because of the COVID year, they'll return. I think sometimes kids just want to move on and start trying to make money playing professionally. I know some will laugh at that and say, well, they're already making money doing NIL, but that's kind of beyond the point. But like, sometimes you just want to move on and start your next chapter. And so you could lose five or six guys. And so I think it's really valuable to get some quality players here. I don't know if you expect them to start day one or what, but you certainly don't want to feel like you're kind of left wanting in this cycle because even from a depth perspective, you probably need at least three bodies, whether it be true freshman or somebody from the portal or maybe a junior college guy. I don't think it's time to freak out yet. There's certainly some guys on the board that 
maybe don't have the instant impact ability uh, of like a Caden Proctor that committed to Iowa over Oregon and other schools or Samson Okanola, who is high on Oregon, but it's, is trending to, to Miami. And the reason why I think it's not time to freak out yet is you're going to find a couple high school guys and then the portal. The, the, the portal is – it changes everything. Um, you can go out and every year at every position. There's going to be about 10 guys at every spot that are starter quality players, maybe more, for power five schools of Oregon's caliber. And I just think that with, with Oregon's, I, you know, reputation, the opportunity for playing time, they'll find somebody. And I would start getting concerned if in February they haven't landed any transfers and the slim pickings at the high school and Juco ranks are really bad. That's when I would get concerned. I, I think if you go in and, and to the December signing period and they they only have one offensive line commit, then you know in January and February the staff needs to work night and day to, to go find some prospects to add. But right now, it's not time to worry yet. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like we've been answering this question for weeks now. Um, I felt the same about – Will the will USC and USC or USC and UCLA's move to the Big Ten affect Oregon recruiting? Uh, it's just a, a spur of the moment. You know, Oregon had lost Alani Noah and Michael Benuelos both to USC. Um, I, I wouldn't be worried. This is Adrian Clem, who's a, a fantastic recruiter. Um, this is a staff that is a very good recruiting staff. Yeah, I mean. I don't think Oregon's offensive line recruiting will ever be maybe probably, eh, yeah, probably never be as good as it was under Mario Cristobal, but that's what you get when your head coach is an offensive or a former offensive lineman. That's exactly the focus of this, of, of that staff. And I think at Miami, they're going to do wonderfully on offensive line recruiting. That's why I think they're the favorites for, for Samson Okamola. Um, yeah. I just, I mean, I think at this point, yeah, it doesn't look great. But then again, we're, this is such a strange recruiting cycle. We, we're sitting here, we're, we're talking about how we're worried about offensive linemen recruiting, and it's not even September. Yeah. And that's how many people are off the board. And whether that's a, a misplay by Oregon and not expecting this, or whether it's just a strange recruiting cycle, there are still names out there. Um, this is a position group that you could find depth quick. I don't necessarily know if they want to just take a random person, or not a random person, but maybe a, a recruit that they don't, really love or really like um, and just add them to the group. I don't think that's what they're going to do. Um, Brandon Huffman on the Outs Audible's podcast highly advises against doing that. And I, I have to agree. Um, again, I, I have faith in Clem. I think that this offensive line staff is going to be just fine. There's still names on the board. There's still the opportunity that Oregon just finishes the cycle with three, four star offensive linemen and, and, you know, maybe they get one more and they call it a day or they hit the transfer portal really hard or they turn their focus and they go after 2024 recruits, just like what Huffman said on the podcast, where there's a lot of great players in on the West Coast. Um, Huffman also mentioned that for offensive linemen in the state of California, it's really not great. There's usually a couple like marquee, like four star, maybe even a five star kid that comes out of Southern California, Northern California every year. 
this really wasn't one of those cycles. And I think that is that kind of hurt Oregon. Um, there's not a lot of great offensive linemen out of Washington either, unlike in the years prior. Um, so I think maybe it sounds like I'm making excuses now for the for the for the staff and why they weren't able to recruit, but I think it'll be fine. I think we'll get their guys eventually. Um, it's just been a tough, it's been a tough sledding to start. It's gonna do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions, most importantly. And then secondly, thank you for listening for this hour-long show. Really appreciate the time. Really appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk football. And you guys to uh, continue asking for these podcasts to come out because we've seen huge growth in the show. And uh, we're just really appreciative of all your guys' support. So uh, we'll be back on probably Thursday after we get some hopefully big news from Dan Lanning on where this team is going from a positional standpoint. But until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.